Welcome to Shifting Sands, Reshaping Charitable Foundations, a podcast from Horn Healthcare. I'm Barry Plunkett with Horn, and today on Shifting Sands, our guest is Phillips McCarty, Vice President for Advancement and Executive Director of the Bashan Institute of Technology Foundation in New York. He is also founder and creative director of Good Scout. For over two decades, Phillips has led development initiatives, including wildly successful galas and one-of-a-kind fundraising events for some of the country's best-known charitable organizations, including St. Jude's, the Elizabeth Taylor Companies, Alliance for a Healthcare Generation, American Heart Association, Brooks Brothers, Make-A-Wish Foundation, and UNICEF, to name a few. Phil, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Barry. I'm glad to be back. And it's good to have you. Let's jump right in. In your view, is the gala or other large fundraising events a thing of the past? And should we even try to salvage them right now? Well, I think that they, at least for now, are a thing of the past in the form in which we have known them to be. Um, so so I, I think that we are obviously in a significant pivot when it comes to in-person events and the way in which we are going to uh, develop those types of fundraising initiatives as we move forward. Do I think that they, um, do I think that they're gone? Um, no, not necessarily. And do I think that we should try to salvage them? Um, I do. I think that, you know, the, the one thing that I, you, you have to kind of look for the, the silver lining in all that has happened this year, particularly in fundraising and for foundations and nonprofits. And so I like to look at this year as the year when we are able to test things that we may ne have never done before when it comes to fundraising. Um, and um, hopefully your, your board and supporters are understanding of that and, um, and will allow you to do so. So, um, you know, this is really a time where we, where we need to test and say what, what works and what doesn't work, but feel, um, feel open to um, being a bit more creative with our fundraising initiatives. In our conversation off air, we had talked about some of the people, when you talk about canceling a gala, they sort of go, don't have to put on <laughs> the tux, uh, don't have to get out the long gown. So why do you think they need to come back, the gala? Well, I think that... Well, here, here's what I'll say to that. I, I'm not sure that the gala needs to come back in, in its traditional form. Um, what I do think is that I think that if you've built fundraising around events like a gala, that there is, to a degree, there's an expectation from your supporters um, of, of you having an event of that nature. I think that now that we are living more in the virtual world, and, and even though there is some burnout there, I do think that people are, um, are still open to supporting maybe not quite at the level that they were because you know so many people look at a gala as not only the support of the organization but also the experience the um to your point the putting a tux on putting an evening gown on going to a social event um networking at that social event so yes i, I mean things are going to look different but i i still think that there's an opportunity to 
to host a gala-like event that is virtual and online, maybe not require someone to, to pay quite what they would have for a table of 10, but still to make a donation um, and still to engage with you. And, and just as you said, I've, I've heard a number of, of high net worth individuals say that they have welcomed being able to continue to give and write checks, but not have to go to all of these different events. It's, it's kind of been a, a, a welcome break or relief um, for, for this year. And I also think that we have to keep in mind that anytime that we're going virtual and not having something that is overly produced and in person, that it, it alters your, your revenue and expenses. So your expenses in the virtual world um, are, are um, reduced a bit. Um, you know, you're, you're not having to look for a venue and, and uh, planners and, and worry about uh, a particular meal and, and food and what have you. you, know, all of the elements that go with, um, with a traditional gala. So, so there's some give and take, but in the end, um, you may not be raising quite as much. And at the same time, you're not investing quite as much. And you don't worry about whether it's going to rain or not. <laughs> exactly. That is, that is true too. Yes. Wet weather, it, weather is not an issue. Yeah. Um, so we're going to adapt to the new normal. And so what does strategic giving look like in the future? Well, I think that, I, I think that strategic giving for the future um, looks like a, a short-term planning process. And, and here's what I mean by that, because we can no longer look at a, it's, it's almost impossible right now to put a three-year plan together. Um, at, the, at the most, I think that we can all potentially put a one-year plan together. Um, and, and that one-year plan needs to be able to shift um, because we are seeing um, literally change day by day with, um, with the pandemic um, in particular, there's really no way to create a long-term plan. And so with that, you know, when I go back to your question of what does strategic giving look like, I think it, it looks like a situation where right now we really need to be amping up our virtual and, um, and engagement through virtual mechanisms and, and virtual means. Um, there are certainly some areas in the country where, where very, very small and intimate gatherings could potentially take place. Um, however, I will, I will be the first to warn and say that of all of the nonprofits and foundations um, that exist, hospital foundations must be very smart in the way that they are developing fundraising and, and really avoiding in-person fundraising as much as possible. If you, if you represent a healthcare um, institution or the industry um, of, of all foundations, those foundations really should be setting the bar and setting the stage for, um, for the proper way to, to fundraise if, it's, if it entails a group. And so all of that, all that being said, Barry, I think that 
I think that strategic giving is going to be around how can we develop um, virtual events, whether it is a, a gala or maybe uh, maybe an, an education symposium or summit that you could start to create and, and pull people in, everything from, from sponsors to individuals. Um, I think that we have to look at peer-to-peer -peer fundraising more. So um, for instance, um, you, you or I um, getting involved and engaged in trying to raise funds for a particular initiative um, at our hospital and rallying our friends and family members. Um, th those are the types of strategies that we're really gonna have to look at moving forward. Um, and, um, and, and probably looking at fundraising as a, as a bit more um, bite size rather than, um, rather than this uh, you know, mega meal, so to speak. You're in the middle of all this foundation work, and so I am sure you hear some terrific examples of what others are doing to be virtual and raise money. Do any of those examples come to mind that you could share with our listeners? Yeah, you know, um, well, why don't I, I'll start by telling you a couple of things that I think have been interesting that I've seen even over the last few weeks um, from a from a technology standpoint. Um, case in point is an organization um, just last week that I was invited to their gala, their virtual gala. And they actually had a, um, they had a technology that allowed you to come into the gala to be seated at your virtual table. When you, when you sat down at your table, you and your your, your guests, you know, those that were sitting at your virtual table with you actually came into a Zoom type of conversation. So you could have a conversation with these, you know, five to eight people. Um, you were then able to move around the room and understand who was at each table. So if you wanted to go into a different um, chat room or a different table um, and have a conversation with someone, you could do that. So there was a networking capability to it. Um, and then the, the programming as a whole um, then, then came, at, came in at a certain time um, in, the, uh, in the conversation and, and, um, and was you know, the, the entertainment and the education aspect, aspect of it for the evening. So, um, you know, so that, that um, I thought was very interesting just from, from a technical standpoint. The, um, the other things that I have seen that are, are working very well is that um, a number of people have shifted. I mentioned earlier um, about education. Um, I've seen several organizations offer different types of programming. One in particular I saw um, actually worked with a group to, um, to have a premiere of a documentary. And they actually premiered this documentary and gave, gave donors an opportunity to see this documentary before it actually goes to streaming. And then they had a talk back after the documentary with um, with a couple of the actors from the documentary um, or, or subject matter from the documentary and also the director. And so it really built and gave a very unique experience for that for that don't for those donors and um, and offered something that was that was unique. And and that was um, the the fundraising mechanism behind that was twofold. Um, one was through ticket sales. And the other was from a presenting sponsor. 
So um, those are just two kind of different examples, one more from the technology aspect of it, the other from, from the uh, creative or idea aspect of it. But um, uh, just a couple of things that I've seen that, that have been successful over the last few months. On the, on the documentary aspect of it, was the content of the documentary relative to the mission of the foundation or was it simply entertainment? It was relevant to the mission of the of the organization. So yes, it it um, it it dovetailed very nicely to their mission and to their education um, aspects. And so you know it, it it made sense from that standpoint. You know the I'll, I'll just say on on that particular piece, Barry, we're 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 living in a day and age where where there's so much content out there, but I mean that in a good way. I'm not, I'm not talking about the overwhelming um, pieces of, of social media and, and all that we're faced with there. But what I mean is that we have so many fantastic content creators out there. So more independent films and television and all are coming out. So that really does offer a unique opportunity to, to look at where there may be some points of engagement um, to, to align around something like a premiere or a sneak peek or a private screening um, type of opportunity um, for, um, to, to utilize with, um, with your foundation or nonprofit. Now we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. We've been there, wondering why it takes 29 meetings, 64 calls, and 100 plus slides to get to a good place. We can do better. We're Good Scout, streamlining the journey for nonprofits and brands to arrive at meaningful and lasting social good through proven, purpose-driven strategies. Because one day, one insight, one voice can change your brand for good. Find us at goodscoutgroup.com. Since you did not mention the sponsoring organization of the virtual gala, maybe you can answer this question. Did you enjoy it? <laughs> you know, I, I will say that I think I enjoyed it from the, from the standpoint of it being something different. Uh, and, and by that, I mean the ability to actually have some conversation in a gala, in a virtual gala type of setting, um, and and being able to connect and network with some people, and 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 quite frankly, people who I did not know before I did sit at their virtual table. So from that standpoint, I did enjoy it. Um, it it really it brought something. Uh, it brought something that the that that other virtual galas that I've seen over the last few months did not, which is it was um, it was live. It was you you know you had that interaction with other people. And, um, and they also kept it all condensed and compressed into about an hour and 10 minutes. So, um, so it also was not time consuming. Did you have to get dressed for it? No, I, uh, <laughs> I did not. I did not break out my tux. Right. Um, it, um, and, and, you know, that's the other thing that I thought was so great about it is that, that the, the attire was, was strictly um, left to, to everyone in terms of what they did want to wear. There were actually a couple of people who were dressed and I think that people had fun doing that um, from home, but, um, but, you know, they, they, they were, um, they were dressed in their, their gala attire, but the majority of people were in their um, whatever this is that we're in now, our, our pandemic attire, I guess. That took a lot of 
ingenuity and technical expertise to do. How technical does a foundation team need to be when it comes to creating virtual events and programs? I think what has been good about this year is that so many platforms have continued to improve themselves to offer more, um, more opportunities and, and greater ability to create experiences or events like this. So when you think about, um, when you think about Google and Zoom and, um, and WebEx and others, they, they certainly have upped their capability of hosting multiple people and hosting um, entertainment and, and being a bit more accessible to, to kind of the everyday person who, who may not necessarily be in a day-to-day business situation. Um, you know, what, what I would say is that I, I think what's most important in looking at these virtual types of events is not so much the, your platform, your delivery platform is going to be critical, yes, but um, your content and, and your, your ability to engage an audience is going to be even more important. So we're getting to shorter and shorter attention spans um, because I think that so many people are on technology every day, um, all day long, particularly if you are in a, a work situation. Um, so you need to make sure that you keep things concise. Um, you need to make sure that it is very upbeat, it is entertaining, and really that it offers something that others may not offer. So, you know, all of us can talk all day long about our cause and have various speakers and everything, but you have to think about what kind of entertainment can we bring to the table? What, um, what kind of interactive piece can we bring to the table where, where people can actually inter- interact with one another um, at the event? So I, I think that in, in saying that, I think that, you know, you can still keep things rather simple from a technology standpoint, or you can really up your game. A lot of it depends on, on you know, going back to our, our, um, our conversation about um, the, the revenue and the expenses and everything. It's, it's really going to depend um, on that. The, the other thing that I will say to this, Barry, is that I, I think that we are a very forgiving um, society now when it comes to technology, meaning I think we have all seen everything under the sun happen, Um, you know, from kids entering a room when you're on a business call or business video to, um, you know, people following it, falling asleep in the middle of a business meeting or whatever the case may be. And so I don't think that the expectation is, is um, perfection by any means. I, I think that people are very forgiving of, um, of, the techno, uh, of the technology aspect of the way that we're engaging with one another. I have certainly upped my game technology and it's still very low, but I'm <laughs> getting there. Phil, what other assets should a foundation consider marketing for fundraising programs? Well, I think that when we're when we're looking particularly at at hospital foundations, I think it's important to determine some of the areas where you're going to put a stake in the ground, so to speak. So, when when you're thinking about your um, when you're thinking about your fundraising, you, you need to fundraise 
around your your strongest messages and your strongest areas of expertise. Um, so, so for instance, you know, in it act, actually in um, our our last conversation, Barry, that we had together, we talked some about um, this is really the year to capitalize on healthcare heroes and and um, and go down that path. I think that that as you're thinking about your um, your assets and and fundraising, you need to think about your messaging with your fundraising to to make it as strong as possible. So, um, for instance, the the fact that healthcare healthcare workers really are the heroes of the year um, for us. You need to build programming out around that. So let's go back to the to the um, the gala model. Maybe your gala. Um, actually features um, your your um, hospital employees in um, in a talent show, uh, for instance. You know that think of how much fun that could be of of actually having people come in and be entertained by those that also um, work day in and day out in the healthcare industry, and also that may have treated them or um, that they may have interacted with when they were a patient um, at the hospital. Uh, you know. Think, thinking of ways to to utilize assets that are really right there at your fingertips is 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 the way to to look at this and also to make this as authentic as possible. You know, we're 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 at a time where everyone and particularly nonprofit organizations are under the microscope, um, and and it's important to to make sure that as you're developing events and programs and initiatives that it's very authentic to what um, to who you are and what you can actually offer um, that's going to be different than what others can offer you know you kind of kind of have to look at your um, I like to always say look at your first only best what what were you first at doing um, as as a healthcare organization what are you the only one you know what what's the only thing that that you can offer that no one else can and um, and then what are you best at and and those those kind of become your assets that you can build programming out around as we approach the end of the year the hourglass is sort of running out should foundations make a year-end pitch virtually? Foundations should absolutely make a uh, a pitch, a giving pitch, um, and and yes, to to your point, virtual yes. Although what I will tell you too is that with so many people um, being um, in their home now more than they've ever been, um, I do not think that we can or should discount. Um, special packages, letters, and what have you arriving at your doorstep or in your mailbox. Um, so I do think that this is the, the moment, you know, one of the things that I've told so many people over this time is if, if, if for no other reason, utilize this time to steward and cultivate donors who have been with you over the years. This is the moment to stop and make a phone call to, to that donor to write a personal note, to, to really engage with them on a very, very personal level and simply thank them for what they have done for you, um, that will go so far. But that, that cultivation and stewardship piece is often forgotten. And, and so I think that particularly during this holiday time, 
Um, absolutely use it as a moment to communicate on a very personal level, um, to, to ask about the possibility of an end of year gift. And then the other thing that I would say is, you know, don't forget that this is a great opportunity for, um, for, uh, it's a great season for a fundraising campaign, meaning, um, you know, there's a real opportunity for, I'll use an example, a, a representative ask campaign where, where you can set levels of, of 25 and 50 and 100 and $500 and, and saying that that $25 can, can help to provide uh, you know, something in, in the hospital, um, that the $50 can help provide a, a meal, you know, if your foundation is, is um, working with organizations in the community on um, feeding the hungry, that $50 can, can buy a certain number of meals, etc. That, that representative type of ask campaign um, can be very strong, particularly during the holidays. And, um, and think of it as a campaign. Don't be afraid. I think sometimes we're afraid to ask people um, multiple times. And the reality is that successful campaigns keep a very consistent theme to them. And they do ask multiple times, meaning even over you know, a three to four week time frame, um, making that consistent ask that goes along with your theme and, um, and, and keeps it in, in front of your donor or potential donor and, and keep you top of mind. Thanks. We are actually running out of time as well, Phil. And there's so much more to talk about and I do wish we had more time, but we don't. Well, I'm glad that we had this time at least and, and hope that we have been able to give the audience a, a little bit of insight that will help, particularly as we are going into 2021. I think you have certainly done that and I appreciate it. And if our listeners have enjoyed this conversation and hear, want to hear more of what Phil has shared with us, check out episode one of Shifting Sands where we talk about healthcare foundations and how they've changed course in 2020. Phil, thanks again. It's always a pleasure. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Shifting Sands is brought to you by Horn Healthcare. For over 60 years and with more than 70 dedicated accounting and advisory professionals, Horn Healthcare is a decidedly different firm. Find us online at hornllp.com.